0: Hey church family, Uh, it is an honor to be with you this morning. I don't know how this whole experience has been for you, but um, these moments on Sundays, whenever you end up watching these videos, has turned into a moment that our family looks forward to. Uh, And it's a joy for me just knowing that each of us, in our own timing on Sunday, are going to gather around this video and worship our Lord together. And though we are Separated and apart right now, it's a joy to think that we still get to rally around um, praising our Lord in, in this time. And so it's an honor for me to lead us in worship through the word this morning. Um, we're going to study the end of Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, and before we get there, I want to kind of recap a little bit of where Tim went last week. Uh, last week, Tim the, got us started in chapter 11. he asked us three questions. Where does faith begin? What is faith composed of? And what is faith's results? And as we work through that, he gave us a great definition of faith that I really want to encourage you to keep in mind as we talk today. Based on A.W. Tozer's definition of faith, Tim said, faith is whatever the soul gazes upon to fulfill our deepest hopes. Today, as we wrap up chapter 11, um, I want us to consider one question. What does it mean to have a forward-looking faith? In continuing the 30,000-foot flyover of chapter 11, um, we're going we're to stop for a second and mention that the end of this chapter is a bit unique. Uh, last week, there was a very rhythmic cadence to, by faith, Moses, or by faith, Abraham, by faith, Sarah, by faith, Isaac. Uh, and we're going to see that same rhythmic cadence as we start in, by faith, Moses, But what you're going to notice is it's going to quickly speed up and it's going to speed up so much that it kind of feels like it comes to an abrupt halt or takes like a hard turn. But as we did last week, we want to engage you as you worship together as a family. Uh, Tim mentioned to grab a Bible. Hopefully you grabbed that Bible. Um, Open it up to Hebrews chapter 11. I would love for one of you to read aloud Hebrews 11 verses 23 through the end of the chapter verse 40. So go ahead and grab your Bible, press pause on this video and read those verses. Last week, Tim gave us a illustration, a great illustration, a great visual of the idea of trying to balance a boulder on top of a toothpick, and he highlighted that when our gaze is upon that toothpick, when our hopes are in that toothpick, often it's only a matter of time before that toothpick gives way and is crushed. And rightfully so, that illustration brings up, raises up some idols that we may have in our life. And just as the author of Hebrews does, that illustration brings us to a place to call us to draw near to God. As we consider where our gaze is on and where our soul's gaze is hoping to fill its deepest hopes, let me pose a question. What about the moments when your gaze is rightly fixed upon the Lord and yet your life meets despair? In order to discuss this idea of forward-looking faith, I want to start our time in verses 32 through 38 and to look at the challenge that's presented in verses 32 through 38 and then we'll go back to the beginning of our verses today in verse 23 and we'll walk our way through to learn what we can About forward-looking faith. But verses 32 through 38 is where the author starts to really speed up his cadence. Uh, In verse 32, he says, what more can I say? Time is too short to tell you about uh, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the other prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and obtained promises. And the, the list there goes on of some pretty astonishing miracles and accomplishments done by faith. But then in verse 35, the tone drastically switches and we kind of hit that moment where everything turns, takes a hard right. Verse 35, the tone changes so much that he says, other people were tortured, not accepting release. Others experienced mockings and scourgings, as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sought into. They died by the sword. They wandered in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and in mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. You know, when we think about Hebrews 11, We almost always go to the heroes of our faith. We think about Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Joseph and Moses. But what about these nameless ones listed here? What about those who suffered throughout their life in such a way that the author of Hebrews credits them by faith they endured that pain? Though you and I may not experience uh, the same type of persecution that's listed here. I know many of you have felt afflicted, have felt alone, have felt mistreated, or, or feel like you're wandering. And before this current pandemic kind of locked us in our homes, in the past month, I had met with three different individuals from our church body who in their own way were articulating to me that their gaze was fixed upon the Lord, yet they met, their life was met with these moments of hope deferred. Now, what do I mean that phrase, hope deferred? Uh, it's not a common phrase, so let me help you define it. In Proverbs 13, 12, it says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred are the moments in our lives where we are pursuing Christ, yet we experience confusion, we experience loneliness, unfulfilled desires, unfulfilled hopes, unexpected loss. Hope deferred can settle in on the young family that longs to start their family, but they struggle with infertility. Hope deferred can settle in on a family who experiences the unexpected loss of a loved one who was gone far too early in their life. Hope deferred can meet an individual who thought their job was secure and all of a sudden they have an unexpected job loss. Hope deferred can show up in our lives in a million different ways. And here's why Hope deferred is powerfully shaped by the desires of our heart. It's it's shaped by what's in our hearts. And when hope deferred takes place in our life, it makes our hearts sick, as the passage says. We long for it to somehow be different. We cry out to God, hoping that he will intervene and change something within our circumstances to make the situation better. But even in the midst of seeking to fix our gaze upon the Lord hope deferred can rush questions into our minds god what is going on where are you why haven't you intervened why are you allowing this to happen to me we experience these moments throughout our life but let's let's slow down today this current experience that we are in, this pandemic, in our community. No parent hoped that their seniors last semester of high school would look like it does today, missing the opportunities and memories that come before graduation. No bride wanted their, pr- their wedding plans to be forced to be put on hold or to be forced to limit the amount of loved ones that they can have come and celebrate their special day. No one in their golden years with the time that they now have, extra time they have to spend time with their family and spend it investing in their grandkids are now being forced to do that over FaceTime. Maybe you had a trip or an experience planned that now your best option is to utilize a free virtual tool our National Geographic's website. I want to make one thing really clear. Hope deferred in your life, when you experience it, it's not because of your wrongdoing. It's not because of some sinful behavior in your life. Hope deferred is part of living in a broken world. We can have our gaze squarely fixed upon the Lord and yet still experience hope deferred. And this is the moment where we need to fight for our faith. We cannot allow hope deferred moments to lead us into despair. And I want to take the remainder of our time together to talk about how do we fight hope-deferred moments in our life with God-believing, forward-looking faith. So what do, what do I mean by hope-deferred? What do we do when hope-deferred lands on our doorstep? Let's take a moment to, to zero in on one of the characters that... Um, is listed in our passage today. Consider David. David's life has both extremes. He failed in sin, and he had great astonishing victories in the Lord. And yet there in particular, there's a season of his life that I am sure is marked by hope deferred because he writes about it in the Psalms. David was not yet king of Israel, he was famous for the victories that he had in battle. He was anointed to be the next king, but Saul was still the king. And King Saul was not ready to give up his crown, and he conspired to kill David. And so David lived a portion of his life literally run on the run, running for his life. Psalm 27 gives us a beautiful picture of both David's hope-deferred moments, as well as his God-believing, forward-looking faith. Let me just read the first four verses of Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers come against me to devour my flesh, it's my foes and enemies who fall. Though an army deploys against me, my heart will not be afraid. Though war arises against me, I will still be confident because I have asked the Lord for one thing, and it is what I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. David is running for his life, hiding in caves, wandering in the desert and in the mountains, knowing there are evildoers and armies hunting him down. We can know the hope deferred moments by his description of what was coming to him in his life. And there is one thing I want you to hear in this passage. Look at the foundation of David's faith in the midst of hope deferred moments. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? It doesn't matter what David experiences in life he says he is my light and he is my salvation therefore I fear nothing he is the stronghold of my life therefore I have no reason to be afraid you see desire is the key for David he says I am confident in my hope deferred moment because the one thing I'm asking for the Lord it is what I desire None of this other stuff is happening around me. It doesn't matter. None of this stuff matters to me. The Lord is my singular focus. I want to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. It's in these moments where hope is deferred that I believe that the Lord is shaping our desires. It's in these moments where the Lord says, I want you to wait And waiting is not about what you get at the end of the wait. Waiting is about what you become as you wait, who you become as you wait. I'm convinced of this, that these moments where God is doing the most work is because our hope is deferred and our heart is sick when our desires in that moment are the most pliable. They are the most shapeable. Because we're in a desperate state. We, we long to see our state change. And our God lovingly comes alongside of us. He guides us away from those other things. And he brings us to a place that our only desire is to seek him. You see, when our desire gets misplaced, waiting leads to despair. Because we feel like we're lacking in life. Despair leads us to isolation. Despair leads us to a place where we distance ourselves from the Lord. Despair leads us to a place where we become cynical about the idea of hope. Waiting should lead us to him. And these are the moments that we need God-believing, forward-looking faith. God-believing, forward-looking faith has four characteristics that I want to draw out of our past. And so if you would, come back to the beginning of of Hebrews 11, verse 23. I want to look at four characteristics that you and I bring to the table when when we experience hope deferred. And these are our role in hope deferred moments. And because of that, they're my encouragement to you today. In verses 23 through 29, we look at the life of Moses, and we see that God-believing, forward-looking faith is a choice. Moses' parents made a choice. They knew the Pharaoh's demand that all Israeli boys would need to be thrown into the river, and they made a choice to defy the king's edict. The text in Exodus 2 actually says, they, or in Hebrews 11, says that they did not fear the king's edict. And as Moses' story continues, he spends nearly 40 years in royalty. He spends 40 years as a part of Pharaoh's family. And it says one day, in Exodus 2, it says one day he went out to his people and he observed their forced labor. He observed their slavery. And Moses made a choice. He intervened. Moses made a choice. He deliberately rejected the wealth in the comfort of Egyptian royalty in order to identify himself with God's people. The author of Hebrews brings his own interpretation of the text here in verse 26, and within it, we see Moses' forward-looking faith. The author says, Moses considered reproach for the sake of Christ to be greater than the treasures of Egypt, and since he was looking ahead to the reward. Moses made a choice. Believing that God would ultimately re- and He would ultimately receive a greater reward by identifying with God's people. The author continues in verse 27, highlighting that Moses preserved as one who sees him who is invisible. The reference there is to his stead- the steadfastness with which Moses held to God's purposes. And I think it's important to highlight, in Exodus 2, when you read this passage, it doesn't give us any indication that Moses knew anything about what God's purposes were in the moment. Nonetheless, he held firm. And God meets him as he flees to Midian, and he meets him in the burning bush, and he reveals his plan. And because Moses held firm, he goes back and helps lead the Israelites out of Egypt and we see the results of that god believing forward looking faith in verses 28 and 29 friends a piece of encouragement for you here today we have the same power and ability to choose to be people who are god believing and forward thinking in our faith even when we don't understand what's going on the second characteristic that we see it comes in verse 30 It is God-believing, forward-looking faith requires obedience. God-believing faith believes God can do the impossible. Can you imagine for a moment what it was like for Joshua to come and inform his army the plan to take Jericho? Men, gather together. Here's the plan. Don't scale the walls. Don't burn the gates. What we're going to do is for seven days, we're going to walk in silence around the city. And on the seventh day, we're going to do it seven times. And then we're going to gather all our ram's horns, and we're going to blow them, we're going to yell as loud as we can, and the walls are going to come down, and the city's going to be ours for the taking. Obedience to the task that seems absurd is an act of faith. Forward-looking faith requires that same type of obedience. You know, obedience to a powerful God was not a big stretch for the Israelites in this time. But brothers and sisters, for us today, forward-looking faith means there will be times that our obedience to the task, no matter how absurd it seems, is going to require faith that God can do the impossible. Because none of it's going to make sense to us. The third characteristic that we see comes in verse 31. God believing forward-looking faith requires belief. Rahab's faith is not directly mentioned in Joshua 2, but Rahab's faith is expressed in her actions. Rahab defies her king. She lies to her king about the spies because of what she's heard about the God of Israel, and she believes those things to be true. Though she had never seen the power of God firsthand, she believes it, and she hides the spies. And subsequently, because she had the spies, the Lord shows favor on her family. Whether you're aware of it or not today, each of us carries around a developed, well-developed personal worldview. And that worldview shapes how you interpret, how you deal with everything that comes your way, including moments where your hope is deferred. For better or for worse, that worldview gives you some kind of answer to all the questions that come rushing in when you have your hope deferred. And those answers shape our obedience and our belief. Knowing who God is is vital to helping us through these hope-deferred moments in life. Friends, we have a proper place to place our gaze. But it's important to know who God is. Let me give you one example of how a worldview can be shaped poorly by a hope-deferred moment. And this example is rooted in the fact that we would, may have some poor theology about who God is. So here's the thought. My suffering, or excuse me, I am suffering because God is punishing me for my sin now, this might look different for a little bit for each of you. It may be less about he's punishing me. It may be more about the fact that you don't know if he loves you or that if he's kind to you. No matter how that thought comes to you, at a foundational level, when we experience hope deferred and our f- thoughts are filtered through that process, through, in our minds, how discouraging to go through difficult moments, to go through hope-deferred moments and think you're going through these things because you've fallen short of God's standard. It is hard to run to God for help in that moment, to rest in his care, to be assured of his love, and to believe that his mercies are constant and constantly available and new to you every day when you're convinced that you're being punished by him. It's hard to reach out for God's grace when you think you're getting what you deserve. You see, the Bible never explains our suffering in that way. It actually teaches quite the opposite. As I already mentioned with David, waiting is not about what you get at the end of the waiting. Waiting is about whom you become, what you become in the process. Rather than suffering being connected to the bad things you've done, Scripture connects trials, connects difficulties to the good things that God wants for you and that He is working to produce in you. Think about James 1 for just a moment. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its full effect on you so that you may be mature, complete, lacking in nothing. Mature, complete, lacking in nothing because our desires have been shaped to a place where they are singularly focused on Christ. Friends, belief, knowing who God is, is vital to the work that the Lord desires to complete in those moments where you experience hope deferred. The fourth characteristic is that we, God-believing, forward-looking faith, requires trust. Take a look at verses 32 through 38. Of all the great accomplishments done by faith and all of those who suffered unjustly by faith, trust in a sovereign God is the unifying characteristic for the experiences of both groups. For us today, we, one experience that we often throws us into a moments of hope deferred is when we find ourselves in a situation where we, are, we have lost control. You see, when we're not in control, we're not comfortable. And here's the truth I want you to hang on to in those moments. Every, for everything that's outside of our control, we can be absolutely sure that it is under the control of our Savior. Paul reminds us of this in Philippians 1. He says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion in the day of Christ. The Lord wants each of us to surrender our desire for control here. He wants us to trust him. Why? Because control and trust are complete opposites when it comes to our desires. The Lord wants us to trust that he who began the good work will carry it on to completion. Let me use another scripture to say it in a different way. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not rely on your own understandings. In all your ways, know him and he will make your paths straight. When trusting in God's sovereignty, Our hope deferred moments can be the exact tool that the Savior uses to produce great things in us and through us. Great things that you and I cannot do in our own strength. So, God believing, forward looking faith is a choice. It requires obedience, it requires belief, and it requires trust. You see, God believing, forward looking faith requires us to bring those characteristics to the table so that the Lord can do his work in the midst of hope-deferred moments. The author of Hebrews closes this section of the passage, um, and it really covers, his defense here covers Hebrews 10 and 11, but he closes this by saying, all of these were approved through their faith, but they did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us that they would not be made perfect without us. God has provided something better for us. Past and present believers, generations of believers, are bound together in God's purpose. The author here is explaining to New Testament Hebrew believers who are struggling, who need encouragement, who have been persecuted. And he's explaining to them that this is no longer about the fulfillment of a promised land, but it's about the fulfillment of a promised eternity. You are, if you're sitting at home right now, um, maybe you are not a Christian or you're unsure of what I mean by a promised eternity, please reach out to our church staff. We would love to talk with you further about this. You see, we believe that there is a hope that is absolutely not deferred. There is a hope of a man who came to seek and save the lost. A man who was a man of sorrows and he was acquainted with our grief. He was despised, he was crushed, he was pierced for our transgressions and our wickedness. We have a great hope in Jesus Christ. Jesus, the one who died a sacrificial death for our sins and who was raised again to life, and now is seated at the right hand of God interceding on our behalf. And we would love nothing more than the opportunity to talk to you about that hope. Finally, brothers and sisters in Christ, God believing, forward looking faith is absolutely necessary because of Jesus. Paul David Tripp says it this way hope of redemption is not just reserved for eternity, but it is a real living present hope. This hope is rooted in the fact that your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is in you, he is with you, and he is right here for you right now. And this truth radically changes how we understand, how we experience, and how we respond to the suffering that has or surely will come our way. And you look at these characters, and pick any character in Hebrews chapter 11, And what they saw was but a mere shadow of what you and I get to see in completion. For David to say, you know what, I will be confident. I've asked the Lord one thing and it is what I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. David was only seeing a shadow of God's love. You and I, we see the full extent of God's love and what he did on the cross. You and I see the full extent of God's power and what he did in the resurrection. And what that means for you and I in the midst of our hope deferred moments is that we can trust that it is not, we're not going through that because God is not saying, I don't care enough for you. We know that it's not because he doesn't love us enough. Because we know Jesus We know his love. We know his care. And that this hope deferred moment that we're experiencing right now has got to be because he has a greater plan to accomplish in me or through me. And we can give up everything. We can give up everything because our reward is greater. greater. We get him, we get eternity. And as we close today, over the next weeks and months, as Hope Deferred lands on your doorstep, will you remind yourself of this truth? Hope of redemption is not just reserved for eternity. It is a real, living, and present hope available for to you in Jesus Christ today. Choose to have a God-believing, forward-looking faith. Because when you do, you can find rest for your heart in the fact that we have a Savior that has everything Under his control. Let me pray for us as we close. Father, God, we thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word. We thank you, God, for Lord Jesus and his saving work on the cross. Father, as difficult moments come upon us, Lord, I just pray for our church body that we would choose to have faith. Lord, that we would choose to trust in your sovereignty. God, knowing that you are completing a good work within us, that you love us, that you care for us. Father, I just take a moment to pray for our leaders nationally and locally as they lead us through this crisis. God, and I pray for all of those in the medical field that are expending themselves on so many levels, caring for those who are sick. Lord, would you uplift their spirits? Would you give them strength? Would you give them wisdom as they treat those in need? And Father, I just pray for our community. God, would we see you work in mighty ways drawing our community towards you in these moments? Lord, we pray these things in our Savior's great name. Amen. As we close our time in worship this morning, Um, I want to encourage you to stick around because there's a message from Tim Fritz at the end of this video, uh, and it's a video that he wants you, a portion that he wants you all to hear. But let's worship right now. Let's sing the song, Jesus, what a Savior. And would you just make this your heart's cry today? I've never known a love like yours. Amen. Have a great week.